I've, I've enjoyed playing here. This has been over 20 years that I've, I've been coming to Royal Melbourne. This way golf should be played. We love coming down under. Look, it's phenomenal to play. The quality of the golf's been great, but the enthusiasm of the people's been the thing that's just been amazing. Tier of courses that I'm willing to shave my neck for in Kingston Heath Victoria. Get me out of bed to shave. Especially somewhere like Australia in the sand belt, and I have so many great memories of being down there. Welcome back to Australian Golf Passport. It's Scott Warren here as always, and joined by Matt Mollica. Hey, Matty. Hi, Scott. Good to chat with you about uh, my escapade last week. Still buzzing from a trip down to Barnboogle Dunes. Uh, first time down there in more years than I would care to remember. First trip since COVID. So uh, lots to reminisce on and lots to discuss with you about mm. what is undeniably one of the most special places for golf in Australia and one of the more special places for golf in the world. Yeah, agreed. And I'm I'm keen to hear how your opinions have changed since you were last there and since you first visited too. So you spent a fair bit of time there, so you've got a good kind of frame of reference. Yeah. Bit of news though, the last couple of weeks. We've been a little bit quiet and Maddie's Maddie's trip to Barney was was kind of the reason for that. But we've been looking forward to holding on to a bit of this stuff and going through it uh now that we've been able to get together for a chat. Uh and before you were in Barney, Matt, you were hanging around the Asia Pacific Amateur. You spent some time out there watching the play at Royal Melbourne Composite. What what was your takeaway from that? Yeah, I went along on the Saturday and bumped into lots of familiar faces. Uh, Mike Caridi of the Three Putt Par podcast was out there. Ross Flanagan was out there doing some drone photography and some filming for the No Laying Up Boys. Solly and Ben made a flying visit out here to film the tournament and generate a lot of content regarding the, the Asia Pacific Amateur. So it was great to catch up with all those guys. Just Shout out to their episode too. They did a recap episode talking about their experience at, at RM and it was Ben's first time in Australia. They played a bit of sandbelt while they were here. So even if you're not a usual No Laying Up listener, it's not their usual fare. It's kind of Ben and Solly chatting about Melbourne and Royal Melbourne and Aussie golf for an hour. So it's worth um, grabbing that and having a listen. Yeah, and Ross filmed them having their match over composite against one another. And Ben's Ben's a stick. Ben's a plus marker. He's better mm. than I realised. So he take, I think he gives Solly a shot aside. So they played the composite the day after the tournament finished, and that's that's going to be up on YouTube in the not too distant future. So that'll be amazing. That and our past episode on the composite would complement one another really nicely. In terms of watching the tournament that day, RM Greens are usually pretty firm. That's maybe a bit of an understatement. I'm not sure anyone repaired a pitch mark all week out there. Um, there was a new amateur course record shot on that day after someone had equaled it the previous day. It was a remarkable day on which to shoot such a low score. I think there might only have been three other players under par in the field that day. But we had a 65, which with northerly winds gusting between 30 and 50 kilometres an hour just seemed like it was never out there. There were some difficult pins on some holes, it was just remarkable to watch those those young men control the golf ball the way they did. And lots of them would have been extremely unfamiliar with sandbelt golf and and hard and fast conditions like that. So that was it was a real treat to watch that day's play. It's an on, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? A, a course record on a course that isn't really a course and the whole order changes and the holes that are even included change and 
Like there's a there's a fair stench of an asterisk on that, isn't there? Well, yeah. When he when the sixty five was posted, we we'd wondered what's going to happen and what happens to that leaderboard and is it is it composite? Is it not? And um, pretty quickly the decision was made that yes, he's, he's played composite course and the sequence has changed, but it stands. So some will some will look back and think, oh, it was different to what Ernie shot his 60 on, or this is not the composite course that Michael Benalek played uh, and, and shot a 66 all those decades ago, but uh, it was, it was recognized as a, as a new course record. And, and given that the, the course has been stretched, it's playing as hard as it was. I don't, um, I don't have a great problem with it. at mm. all. Did they play two West as a par four from the up tee like they did for the president's cup or. Uh, I don't think that they did. Let me double Makes check sense. that. Yeah, well, I'm I mean, not sure. Well, they moved the tee up for the press cup because of people, crowds, big crowds getting around the site, right? Which isn't an issue for definitely not the, an issue the, for the Asia Pacific. Yeah, but, yeah. No, which is one of the things that I heard from people who went out there that made it so great was, you know, you couldn't go on the fairways kind of necessarily, but. You know, there weren't galleries as such. You could follow matches. You could sort of feel like you were walking the golf course from the from the edge of the fairway and and get a pretty cool experience of just being out there. Yeah, I'd, and and particularly in the latter part of that Saturday, certainly the last two or three groups, there were people just walking along behind them and standing in the middle of the fairway, fifty yards back from the players, hitting their approach shots, which is just a, a great buzz. And you're standing there watching them putt. Um, yeah, really, really cool experience going there. So I'd played West the week prior to the Asia-Pacific Amateur with Old Salty. Mm-hmm. And the course was looking good, but it was ramped up probably two notches in seven days. I was surprised it's amazing the control these, these great supers have over the, you know, they can just flick a switch and you'd think Z- it should take a month to change the course that much. Yeah, Exactly. But it, it just went up a little bit in terms of green speeds, just general tidiness. Probably fairway cut was lowered a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was, it was remarkable. So my, my reference for this is is a bit muted because you'll remember when we played in March, which was my first visit to RM in a handful of years, the course was flooded that morning by a massive storm that delayed yeah. us. So you know, the firmness and the fastness of the course was was not really on display for me that day. Is it, you know, we're only just getting into what's expected to be a hot, dry summer. Is it is it too bouncy? You know, was it only kind of appropriate for absolute elite players the way it was presented? Certainly on the Saturday with the way the winds were blowing, I was very happy to be watching and not playing. <laughs> and someone asked me about how I, a mate sent me a message about how would you go if you were out there today? And I'm I'm off nine. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Stroke round from those back tees, I'm not sure I would have broken a hundred. Yeah, um, I could have made a mess of four or five holes and a and a four club crosswind when you're off the back tees of two east and you think, well, this is just ball after ball that's either going in the left rough that I've hit straight through the wind, or it's going to go over the fence line to the right where I've hit a sixty meter slice that's been grabbed by the wind. Um, it, it it can yeah can get can get on the wrong side of firm at times. And probably fine for those players, but not fine for the the rest of us. Yeah. And, of course, an Australian winner off to the Masters and the Open. Yeah. Jasper Stubbs 
PK member, just did remarkably well, came from a long way back at the start of the final round, won a three-man playoff, putted nervelessly on 18 East in regulation and in the playoff. So, yeah, full credit to him. That's that's what a what a ticket to punch. Like the Open opens at Royal Lytham next year, I think. I believe so. And then goes, yeah, goes goes to the Masters, obviously, and 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 Lytham. So very cool. Yeah, and of course he bet he beat Wen Yi Ding and Samson Zhang in a playoff. And one of the things that I loved about this event, you know, a little way further back, I think had quite a low round on Sunday was Quinton Croker, an Aussie. I loved there were some great names in this tournament. I think what pro golf needs is some more great names like Samson. Wen Yi Ding, Quinton Croker even has something about it. I'd love, you know, I think one of the things that makes compelling players compelling, and I can see the look on your face, I'm dead serious, is 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 cool names. I agree. I agree. Like if Bryson DeChambeau's name was Matthew Thomas, I think he would be like 20% as compelling. And yeah. Brooks is Brooks because he's Brooks. And I think one of the reasons that Pat- Patrick Cantlay is such a Diet Coke bad guy is that his name's Patrick Cantlay. I think if he had a sick name, he'd be a lot more, you know, you'd enjoy him as a as a villain a bit better. So I have high hopes for Samson particularly. He hit it so well. And he, so yeah, just club head speed for days as well. Just solid, smart and he's a, decisions. He's a thick boy, isn't he? He is he's indeed. A man after my own heart. I love that. Poor Arth will love him. So... And went out with the mock turtleneck on the Saturday, just channeling oh, Tiger from 20 years prior. Just drippy. I love it. That's really cool. It sounded like a great event. I would have loved to have got down and had a look around, but um, yeah, maybe next time. So we're also got a bit of movement on the push to save more Park Golf Club uh, and also to save Oakley, uh, which from all the testimony online is surrounded by hectares of parkland that's basically empty 90% of the time, thanks to a few locals who are going out and documenting that. Yeah, and it also seems that the the main councillor in that in that precinct has aspirations for a higher post elsewhere and sort of needs to get a few runs on the board prior to climbing the ladder and suspects that this project might be the way to secure some of those runs. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, you're right, it just seems more and more ill-advised as time goes by. It's a, it's a heavily utilised public facility that services a broad range of the community. It's it's uh, the home of, of Sandy Jamison's One Club project that's been instrumental in attracting a broad range of new players to the game. Yep. Disability so groups. Yeah, Young, well, socioeconomic, old, all the people all that golf needs to be seen to be including. All sorts. So yeah. there's a petition out there to sign to um, express your views regarding the the future of that site where Oakley Golf Course currently sits. I'll put the link to that in our show notes so people can contribute to that and help the cause. Similarly, there's a Save More Park link that I'll put in the show notes as well so that people can make their voices heard regarding the outcome of, of the 18-hole course there which we touched on in our most recent episode with Clates. Yeah. And, mate, so. like that change isn't isn't scheduled to happen until mid-2026. Um, you know, we're nine months out from an election in New South Wales at that point. There's time 
for the golf community to do this the right way and in strength in numbers and be heard and influence that decision. So, you know, this is an absolutely, look, a decision's been made and it's it's the golf community's up against it to try and change that decision, but there's time. And I think this is absolutely an example of, you know, write to your local MP about it, get your club mates, you know, involved, even if they're not necessarily attuned to the issue. This is an important one for golf in Sydney in general, um, just as Oakley is in Melbourne. I just think the golf community has to, you know, shoulder to the wheel and actually do some lobbying, do some campaigning, all in good faith, all very constructive. You know, I saw some people just abusing the heck out of Clover Moore online and I just thought it does nothing but reinforce to Clover and her supporters that they've done the right thing and we're all a pack of dickheads. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be done the right way. Can't create animosity and enemies by losing the plot. Yeah, correct. And then the Aussie Open field, we're a little bit behind on this, but it's worth reminding people that the Aussie Open is on this month now. We're into November, uh, November 30 to December 3, the Aussie and the Lakes for Thursday, Friday, and then the Aussie for the weekend. Um, and quite a decent sort of field rolling out for it. Yeah, so Adrian Moronk has decided to come back to defend from what I saw. Patrick Rogers, who's a favourite of mine, probably a bit of an underachiever on the PGA Tour, but just a game, like a swing to die for. And you'd mentioned before we hit record that Bob McIntyre is going to be your sort of go-to amongst the cohort of locals who come back for our summer to participate in the Open. Yeah. Minwoo Lee's going to be there. Uh, I think a few of the live boys that are trying to get themselves in the end-of-year top 50 to make the Masters field are going to come and play. So that's cool. Blocky. How do we not mention Blocky is coming? But we were not going to mention that. Do you know what? <laughs> I, I We've had some time since that was announced to think about it. And initially, you know, I went where everyone went. But you know what? 90% of PGA Tour players could be announced to come and play in the Aussie Open and they wouldn't sell more than three more tickets or convince more than three more people to tune in. I think Blocky... Rightly or wrongly, and for whatever reason that people do pay attention, is going to cause people to pay attention. I think it's going to cause some of the people in the US who are just sick and tired of the bloke to tune in and see what happens. Um, He finished 15th at the PGA Championship against the strongest field. I mean, it's the strongest major field every single year. He finished tied 15th. He's coming to Australia and he's playing a way weaker field. But I actually think, like, it's something different and it's something else to keep an eye on for the event. So I've I've covered some territory since I first heard it and was outraged. I'm actually I'm pro-blocky for the Aussie Open. Okay. We don't disagree on much. <laughs> this is going to be one we disagree on. Um, Taylor made push his barrow enormously and give him huge airtime and managed to get him in front of a lot of eyeballs in the US, and that's probably the only conceivable advantage from my perspective. Yeah, I felt so bad when I saw it announced originally. I just thought, God, we're doing this. Like, how is this guy's like twenty-four hours into his fifteen minutes of fame? <laughs> um, he he has he's milked it 
but to be fair to him, I think a lot of people are milking him as well. Like he's milking while being milked. Yeah, probably. He's getting good money off Cisco. That logo's on his shirt. So Yeah. He's rocking the Red Bull F1 team driver in a PGA Tour event. Could yeah, not believe it's... that either. That's yeah. Anyway. So Who so me? yeah, the, the, the Australian Open. Who me? No way. No way. The Australian Open will be good. It'll be me? good. We've, we've got Leash, Cam Smith, Adam Scott, Min Woo. Sorry, not sorry Matty, from Jason Day. Jason's got it. Mate, if you'd let us know sooner, I've got another engagement. I've, I'm just, I'm too committed. I can't say no to them. If you just let me know. Shocked. Oh, this is the 15th time it's happened in 20 years, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. Actually, five appearances might be generous. I think he might be at four. I was going to say it might be, it might be the 16th or 17th out of 20. Anyway. Yeah. It's, um, it's remarkable when you look at this stuff and you look at how certain players have turned up or not turned up. This might be an Insta story because I remember you tweeted, you did some analysis on this a while ago and looked at how fre- how frequently and regularly Adam Scott and Cam Smith came back. But, and Adams carries the most weight because of the longevity of his career and his ranking and and whatnot. And, and the fact it. that he's also got a got a got an overseas-born wife and in-laws, yet still manages to come back to Australia. Yeah. So I found it. Cam Smith is the standout, right? So from 2015, when Cam Smith... So he finished T- T5 at the US Open. Chambers Bay. Chambers Bay, correct. When um, Spieth won. DJ three putted from like 10 feet on the last hole. So that tournament, Cam Smith finished T5. He broke into the world top 100. Since then, out of the Aussie Open and the Aussie PGA and the Aussie Masters, which had a few more little, it was not death rattle by then, but it had a few more before it disappeared. Cam Smith hasn't missed a single tournament, not just a single summer, hasn't missed one of the big three tournaments. Boy. And I reckon and, he's probably and he's got a, a, P- a Queensland PGA amongst that as well, oh, probably too. Yeah, I'm sure he has. But And American misses just like all the rest of them, lives in Florida just like all the rest of them. He's got all the same excuses as all the rest of them. Um, if you go back to 2006, when Leishman and Day had just turned pro, Ogilvy was US Open champ and Adam Scott was a top five player. From 06 through to 2021, I've got their open Aussie Open appearance records from 14 potential appearances as Ogilvy 12, Adam Scott 10, Leishman 6, and Jason Day 3 out of 14 possible appearances. Yeah, like, and he hasn't, he hasn't added another to that list in the subsequent years. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's bad. So Leishman's like low-key disappointing. And granted, you know, his wife had the health issues she had and it was, you know, there was probably a couple of years there where she was still getting herself back to full full speed and you can understand him staying close to home and all of those things. But, yeah, it's days is shameful and Cam Smith is just can't be faulted. Every single yeah. tournament hasn't missed one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really cool. And... um of course, you know, we need to mention, not sure that we did, I want to make sure that we do, that uh, Minwoo Lee and Minji Lee both playing. Obviously, that tournament's are men and women together in the same event. 
obviously different trophies, but playing at the same time. Um, the Lee siblings are, um, yeah, fantastic value for Aussie golf. Yeah, he's he's Minwoo's star is going to continue to rise. Like he's going to get better and better. And Minji's mm. Min already got two majors to her name, and just looks like she belongs in that top tier of women's players. Totally. Um, looks very comfortable there, and and yeah, it's great to see. Um, we have another little bit of news. Yeah, we do. We surreptitiously gotta... sort of hinted at it with a little Insta story a week or two back. Yeah. Like those who've been paying attention on Instagram will. And, Matt, so just as a little aside before this, it made me realise how freaking long the Cricket World Cup goes for because I started this little campaign. It was like Australia's third game. And I feel like this has been going forever and it's still not even at the, at the semifinals. Like this, yeah. this tournament goes for too long. But you were, I think we are trying to record that weekend and you were waylaid by life and I was pissed on the couch on a Friday night and I decided to do an Ask Me Anything uh, on Which Instagram. was fantastic. Yeah, I saved all the stories in a, in a story highlight on the... On the, we covered some territory. So that's on our Insta profile if you want to go back and, and relive that. Um, thank you to everyone who indulged me. Um, but so those who've been paying attention, out of that Ask Me Anything, um, we started talking about beer and I started a little campaign to try and get a brewery to sponsor us. And there was a particular brewery that I was pursuing, but I was kind of just like letting breweries know that we were we were available um, Open for business, yes. Matty. Since I was a little boy, um, it's been my dream that to have a mildly successful niche golf podcast sponsored by a beer company, uh, and so a boutique brewer, not just a wholesale, no. run of the mill, average quality. No, indeed. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about what we talked about with Angus and Grace go golfing when they came on board to sponsor us. We talked about wanting to celebrate or connect with, I guess, partners and sponsors who in their field are doing what we try to celebrate with golf, which is, you know, great craftsmanship, great attention to detail and care, high quality, doesn't have to be the highest price in the world, but just a passion for quality and delivering a good thing that's really, you know, satisfying to interact with over years uh, or in our new sponsors, you know, over minutes maybe. Um but so yeah, we wanted we wanted to have partners that actually match that ethos, uh, and so yeah, look, we we dangled a bit of tail feather and we said, oh, you know, we're really in the market for a brewery to sponsor us, and you know, no free ads. We weren't getting a lot of love back. It was like mixed messages, you know, when you're really into a girl when you're a teenager, and it's like. There's not no interest, but it's not a yes, and you need to you need to understand that. What well, was a yes from some listeners of ours who own a fantastic brewery in Melbourne, and Maddie, you're a bit more familiar than I am because my care package hasn't arrived, and you go a little bit back with this brewery. So why don't you tell the listeners about our new best friends? So yes, they hail from Burnley Brewing, and they produce a range of amazing beers. They're based at 648 Bridge Road in Richmond. They've been there for several years. They have a tap house that serves fantastic food in a great atmosphere, but they've also got a range of amazing beers, some of which are on their way up to you as we speak, Scott. I'll put a little link to their landing page in the show notes so that people can see exactly what they do. They do a pale 
there's a wheat beer that the guys at the brewery are particularly proud of. They're Wizen, which is a soft wheat flavored beer. Uh, they're doing some really, really cool stuff. Some low volume runs, some interesting takes on traditional kinds of beers. They've got a Pilsner, which is first rate. Really, really chuffed to be mm. partnering with them and getting more familiar with their range and sampling some of their wares. Yeah. We'll yeah. hopefully do some um, some prize-giving activities for listeners throughout uh, the next little while and in the lead-up to Christmas, and we'll grab some product from them and, and make sure that we can get some listeners familiar with their stuff as well. So, yeah, yeah thank you to, to Brian, to Hoppo, to all their team at Burnley Brewing. They do a fantastic job, and we're really happy that they've decided to jump on board. Yeah, mate, I'm I'm really pumped for them to teach me a bit about beer too. I'm I'm a passionate beer drinker, but I feel like when it comes to like the actual craft of beer, I'm a bit maybe like Bonville. Like Bonville's not bad, but it's not it's not high end. It's not you know kind of like insights. So you know maybe I'm Bonville and you're Eagle Ridge, and and the guys at Burnley are gonna you know turn us into something a little bit more cultured. Yeah, yeah, they've got got a bit of a way to go to get me a bit more cultured with beer, but they've got the material to do it. They've got a dark that you apparently sip like a red wine and sort of savour throughout the night in part because of its complexity, but in part because it's off the charts alcohol content. So, yeah, there's, pl- there's, there's plenty to work with. So, um, we'll be, yeah, I reckon we'll be working our way through their range and um, just talking about the highlights of a particular style or two of theirs every so often. Yeah. But yeah. I interrupted you. Thank you to them so much. No, for- yeah, absolutely. It's I'm pumped. Like I'm genuinely pumped, and um, and to get a cool little, you know, owners passionate, hands on the tools brewery in in Melbourne involved. Um, I think it might be my 2024 goal for the pod to have a listener event at Burnley oh. after a, a day of golf on the sandbelt. That would rock. I would be up for that. Okay. That's our. To, oh, that's yeah. on the to-do list. That's firmly on the to-do list. That's All right. Do you want to? Uh, Should we get into it? Into the main fair for this episode. Let's 100%, go. Percent, I do. Maddie, I re-listened. So, long-term listeners will know we've talked about Barnboogle before, and that was in episode I think four. Re-listening was a little bit. I had to sit in a dark room because we weren't very good at that point. Uh, but we had a lovely conversation about Barnboogle, and we largely focused on the 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 resort and the getting there and getting out and what to focus on and we talked about the golf courses but we more talked about the whole experience of Barn Boogle. so I think it's a good opportunity to revisit it and talk a bit more about the courses um interestingly your sign off on that episode the last words that left your mouth as we finished were I'm licking my chops at the thought of getting back down there well we went for a mate's um, we went for a landmark, a belated landmark birthday, and he usually does something on a weekend close to his birthday. We just have one round, and we'd said last year that you know next year we should make it a little bit bigger and a bit better. And he'd suggested a multi-day trip to Barnboogle, and I didn't think it was going to happen. But all of a sudden, I got an email earlier in the year or a text saying it's this weekend. Send me this much cash. We d- this is the itinerary, and I just could not wait like the thought of everything like everything getting on the plane driving from Launceston to Barnboogle yeah I couldn't I couldn't wait and it was it 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 delivered in spades 
as good as you. I mean, because you remember these things as being impossible to match, but sometimes you go there and and if all the inputs are right. You just have an off the off the charts weekend. It sounds like one of those. Yeah, we were extremely lucky with the weather all weekend. Frequent visitors down there will no doubt have struck ordinary weather at some point or really strong winds. I can remember a, a time I'd gone down there where a mate walked off the 17th tee of Barnboogle because he was in such pain. He was getting sandblasted from a from a northwesterly wind, just opted to not play the hole would, rather than stand on the tee and have his face get more and more sore. Um, we had almost no wind for for three days, which was remarkable and a real. It, it, well, given we've talked about November being one of the windiest months. Well, yeah, I'd I'd gone down there on a November previously, and been seriously confronted by the the rental car staff saying, "You guys are going to get hit with a surcharge for all the removal of sand from this car." Like we we the the Barnboogle car park wasn't sealed back at that time and it was really windy, but we'd we'd ended up with buckets worth of sand in this car from a one day hire, and it was it was just yeah one of those days where you'd you'd say oh what did you hit into seven the little par three that mm. faces west that's the that's my that's my barometer when someone's gone and they'll talk about how strong the wind's been I always ask them what they hit on seven, and. For those who've not been there, you stand on the tee and feel like you could just toss a ball onto the green. It's not very far, and um, I think from the one-up tee, it's ninety-eight meters. Yeah, so I'd hit I'd hit a little gap wedge this trip, and and the bigger boys will hit sand wedge or flog a lob wedge off the tee and see how they go. But there's been days where that wind's been so strong, I've hit four iron on that tee, and and six iron's not that uncommon. So we were very, very lucky. Sun shone. Um, really, I only saw one snake. Mm. It was on the tee of 18A on Lost Farm on the last day. That was enough. So, yeah, it was a great trip. Um, and, and looking forward to talking more about the courses and the nitty-gritty of, of what mm. the experience was like playing all of those, particularly the first time seeing Boogle Run. Well, let's talk about Boogle Run then because it was on the list of things to ask you about and you've walked us to it. So... So just quickly before we jump into that, you were there for three days. What did what did your itinerary look like in terms of golf? We left Melbourne uh, on in the morning and got a hire car and drove from Launceston to Barney and played Lost Farm that afternoon. We woke up the next morning, played Barnboogle. There were eight of us on this trip, and the and the handicaps ranged from eight to probably twenty. Barnboogle in the morning. We had lunch at Barney that day, um, Boogle Run in the afternoon before having a beer and a quick pizza and shower change and then back up to the restaurant at Lost Farm for dinner on that night. Woke up the next morning, played another round on Lost Farm. a beer and a pizza, showered and then went to dinner. Yeah. We were hungry. (laughs) Okay. No Uh, judgment. Only one or two pieces of pizza, not much. They're small pizzas. Um, and yeah, woke up the last morning, breakfast, lost farm, like second group off, which was just serene, just no wind, no clouds, sunshine, just insane. So scooted around there and had some more beers, then got into the car and drove back and flew back to Melbourne. Beautiful. So, so Boogle we, Run, first time. We played Boogle Run as 
a four-on-four team event in Ambrose format. Okay. So all eight of you in the same group. We're the only ones out there. We thought that was probably the best way to see it. There were some guys struggling. There were some guys who weren't hitting it that well. And and the relief of just scoring hole after hole after hole. How many points do you have for that 18? This seemed to be a little respite and build camaraderie between everyone who some of the guys didn't know the other guys before this trip as well. So it was fantastic from that perspective. Um, I was surprised the first time going around Lost Farm. I had no awareness of Boogle Run and its proximity to the holes on Lost Farm. It was only up when I was on Boogle Run, I was like, oh, yeah, that's 11 down there. Or, oh, wow, we're really close to nine. And I, I just didn't have that much awareness of it being so closely routed to Lost Farm. So it's no intrusion on on the experience of playing Lost Farm whatsoever. Uh, that's what it's up in the dunes, like right of eight, right of 11, behind nine kind of thing, behind nine T. Yeah, is that yeah, right? You walk past, okay. you walk past nine T, and so you could be walking off eight Lost Farm Green to nine T, and there could be a group going past you. And you think, oh yeah, they're they're walking off to go and play the third hole of Boogle Run. Gotcha. Okay. And the holes run from sixty to two hundred and twenty meters. There's fourteen holes. There's two par three, or two par fours rather, and the rest are par threes. Uh, there's some greens that have a good deal of movement in them. There's some small greens, some big greens. 10 is steeply downhill with one fronting bunker. And you think, well, what am I going to do? Do I land short and try and thread that little gap to the right? Do I fly it over? Do I over club and hit the bank at the back and spin it back down? It was, it was really, really cool fun. I think it was the knock on it that I'd heard prior to getting down there was that it was expensive for what it was. And I think I paid 95 bucks as the second round of the day. I'm really happy I've seen it. I'm probably of the same mindset as other people in that if I had that money in my pocket and the weather was good and I had that time up my sleeve, I'm probably going to play another nine on one of the big courses, time permitting. Hmm. And maybe not everyone does that. Maybe someone goes to Boogle Run and mixes it up and it, it affords dorks like me the opportunity to go back out onto the big course because not everyone's clamoring for that first tee at 345 on the saturday afternoon so yeah um i seem to recall that last ranking cycle it ranked in the 50s in australia yeah and my my inclination was that a 14 hole course with 12 par threes that was probably optimistic is that yeah i think optimistic's a good term um, it'll be interesting to see where it comes this time because there's some courses that are in that 40 to 60 bucket that I think will they're clearly superior to Boogle Run. Boogle Run's a really, really cool mm. creation. I'd, I'd, if you were a shaper or a designer and you said, oh, I built this, I routed this, it'd, it'd be a feather in your cap, no question. It's a really it's a really cool concept and a great add-on to the whole experience at Barn Boogle. Yeah, cool. beautifully, con- beautifully conditioned, green's the same speeds, Hard as shit, like they say. Um, the greens were firm. I, I bladed a couple of wedges and just waved goodbye to those balls. Never mm. saw them again. Pete um, Shaw from Hobart, who's a mate of ours and a listener, said he and like Pete's a scratch player. I think he he said he lost you know a small handful of artillery around there his first time. Which you know, part three courses are usually you know bit of fun, make some birdies, have a laugh. This sounds like it's. It's a different thing to that. You could 
it is different to that. Like it's it's that and the and the nine hole path the furrows the nine hole path three at Kingston Heath they're two distinctly different animals. They're mm-hmm. not they're not the same thing at all. And that that knock that we alluded to in the early episode where we recorded about Barney and Lost Farm, and I can remember when or oh, before Lost Farm ever existed, people would talk about the possibility of a second course across the other side of the river. And, oh, I don't know where they're going to put the holes and the land's too dramatic and it's going to be heaving all over the place. Well, this is some of the land that they were talking about, obviously. Because mm-hmm. um, you can't route a 410-metre par four hole over some over the terrain that, that Burble yeah, this sits is on. on. Yeah. Interesting. Really, really good fun. Very happy to have finally seen it. Yeah, good one. And it's kind of like... That's what we kind of predicted when we talked about it last year was that it's probably the kind of place that a lot of people will say, I want to have seen it, I want to have played it. But for five or ten bucks cheaper than St Andrews Beach, it may not tick the value box. No. I think most, most particularly most first-time visitors would be thinking, well, I really just want to pay a tiny bit more and have the day rate and play 36 on the big course. Because I might not be coming back if I'm if I'm from Phoenix, if I'm from Cleveland, I'm I need to see Lost Farm as many times as I can before I get back on that bird, and I don't know when I'm coming back. Mm. And and that was one of the big takeaways for me. I've I've always thought Lost Farm was good. I have this heightened appreciation of it now, which I went in thinking it was good, and I didn't score super well. I think I had two birdies, three birdies in two laps of it. Mm-hmm. And I lost. I lost a few balls. Hit some stupid shots. I've lost the ability to fade it. Can only hit smother hooks and slight pulls now. But that's a different topic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Lost Farm is there's a there's a sophistication and a design quality to that course that made me think back to all that kerfuffle at the start of the month regarding rankings and golf magazine and Wickham falling out of the top hundred and. From my memory, Lost Farm isn't in that top hundred either. Or if it no. is, it's well, okay, it isn't. That's 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 a that's a fundamental flaw. And you might say, well, there's 300 great courses in the world, and not 300 fitting into 100. There, there can't be 100 courses on earth better than Lost Farm. And there's too many good judges out there that have seen both Lost Farm and Barn Boogle repeatedly, who keep saying Lost Farm is the better of the two courses, not just the one they prefer, but the genuinely better one. So that 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 position was just reinforced to me over the weekend. Yeah. And I think ironically, if we played it in stinking conditions, like a two club northerly or a three club northwesterly, or if we got a one club easterly, you'd think, well, that 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 view's only confirmed more so because it's playable in strong winds or variable winds, perhaps slightly more than Barn Boogle Dunes is. I want to we'll get to the holes that you were most looking forward to playing. And I'm just, I'm just to double check. I'm just scanning the back end of the new world top hundred from Golf Magazine, controversial as it was, uh, and I'm not seeing any Lost Farm there. No. Okay. Um, what's a hole on Lost Farm that jumped out to you this time? We talked last time we discussed the courses in the pod that there's always a hole or two on each course that maybe you didn't think quite so much of previously, and you have an experience with it that makes you think, oh, I hadn't noticed that feature or that's a really cool pin position, that kind of thing. Probably 15 this time. I didn't 
ever mm-hmm. really think that 15 was that good. I thought it was in a great spot. And there was that massive bunker off the right that was big eye candy but didn't ever really serve any purpose. Um, Which is nice that you're calling that out because you did send me a picture of you with the fried egg of all fried eggs on that hole. Oh, man, that was such a good shot. And, yeah. <laughs> It had to, had to well, fade. It, it was almost, a- it was almost such a good shot. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a better hole than I gave it credit for. And this, there's so many holes on that course that I already thought were really, really good. Like one, that might be the best. Like the first hole, that might be the best opener in Australian golf. Like you can yeah. be so timid, so conservative. You can be so aggressive. You've got so much width. You can try and get home in two and get the ball rolling really, really early. You can just plot your way along conservatively and ease into the round. It's, yeah, and it's it's smart use. I think we might have said in that original pod, it's the, the repeatedly intelligent use of flat land on that course is just so, so good. Yeah. Two's on flat land. There's a little bit of movement on three, but 16's flat, seven's flat. Um on two, that like the center line drive hazard, the drive bunker in the center, and then the ridge down the middle of the green separating left from right. Yeah. It just, it perfectly rewards being able to hit it to the correct part of the fairway to approach the pin of the day, the slope, like we talked about. I mean, I'm going to, we keep referring back to the old conversation. People need to go and listen to it as well, I guess. Um, like on 16, where if you drive it down the right on 16 at Lost Farm, there's not a massive slope screaming at you that your ball's going to get shifted way left, regardless of how well you hit it. It just happens. It's yeah. more subtle. I think two's like that. You can hit it on the wrong side of that, the drive hazard for the bunker for the pin of the day, and think, oh, it's all good. I'll be able to shape one in close to the pin. And you just no, you can't. That's really good. So if you yeah, if you're if you're on that tee and it's only, I think it's 305 from that back, from the second to back tee. The, the the terracotta, mm. uh, but three so, or yeah, five into the prevailing. Yeah, so you're if you've got a heads up and the okay, I can see where that flag is, and I'm familiar with this green. I've played this course before. I need to be coming in from this side. There's ample width for you, and you, yeah, you need to make a decision, and then you need to execute which half you're going to go with. And it's it's not going to kill you if you don't, but you're not going to be you're not going to have an easy time to write a par on your scorecard if you don't. Yeah. 12 is another there that if we're calling out flatland farm holes, yeah. it's, it's one where people's opinion of 12 is a bit, for me, a barometer of do they kind of know what they're talking about when it comes to to golf design because it's got nothing speaking for it in terms of natural quality. No. But the positioning and shape of the dog leg, the positioning of the drive bunkers, there's kind of bunkers just short of the green that make a layup important. And again, the green has just enough going on in terms of shape that if you're in the wrong quadrant to the wrong pin, you're screwed. Um, really cool hole on on completely unenviable land. Yeah, and no great view out to the right. It's not water. It's not other golf holes. It's not undulating. Uh, that drive bunker on the inside of that dog leg, like it is just begging you to get close to it. And you think there's a hundred meters right of it. Really? What am I doing over there? I've lost balls in the grass around that bunker and thought, what are you doing? Like what? 
Why did you why did you get so close to this thing? But it, it's it's asking, it's imploring you to to near it. You want to get home in two, you want to have a, an advantageous shot from close to that hazard. So it's yeah, it's very, very smart. Yeah. yeah. And there's something about the fact that if there was 35 yards of fairway to its right, I think you'd be happier hitting it 30 yards right of that bunker. But it's almost because there's 80 yards in a perverse, illogical way, it makes you focus more on the bunker. Yeah. You have this skinny little desired line in your mind in the okay, I've just got to thread it down that. And you think mm-hmm. it's as wide as a freeway. I don't need to thread anything. But no. Yeah. So and- really, really cool holes on flat land. You asked earlier about holes I was looking forward to playing, and two was definitely one of them. Uh, the third was another. The fourth was another. The fifth was another. <laughs> the fourteenth was another. Fourteenth's phenomenal. Fourteenth is so good. Like you can hit anything off that tee. You can be as conservative or as brave as you want. It's in such a cool spot. You get a brilliant view of the water and the town beyond. You know if you take an aggressive line down the right side and you push it slightly, or you're just not quite long enough, or you, you sorry, your ego's writing checks that your body can't cash. You you're going to wave goodbye to that ball. It's it's such a such a good hole. Yeah, and as we talked about, I think when we were doing short fours, you know, it's not at all questionable whether that's a short four. It's it's so reachable, pretty much for everybody that you know everyone can have a dig at that green and it's such a such a fantastic fun shot yeah on a 36 hole complex it's chock a block full of holes like that yeah with that sort of measure and that sort of adrenaline rush and reaching for a long club and thinking you can get really close to the flag after your tee shot yeah it's so, just super cool super super cool yeah. there, to carry a- that drive bunker to have a ping at the green from the back downhill uh, typically kind of a quartering helpful wind, 190 metres. So yeah, it's like... It's not under it's, Yeah. There's people with driving iron and hybrid and long iron in hand to do that. So, yeah, not that, that part of it's not daunting at all. Mm. Three is interesting to me that you called that out. I've never really particularly cared for three at Lost Farm. I don't think it's particular. You know, those there's those short fours, and it can depend on your strengths and weaknesses and your shapes. But for me, that's a six iron and a sand wedge, hundred times out of a hundred. Sell me, sell me on it. Sell me on why it's a good hole. There's a good backstop to that green, or within that green rather, and I think that that potential to just to hit a high cut three wood at that green or a high cut driver, depending on what the wind's doing. And how well you're hitting it. Like you can, that lure of an eagle putt, I think is irresistible for some golfers. And like you were alluding to before, there's this paradoxic moment where you have this thought that, well, I should be going out there because there's all this safe fairway and this fat landing zone for me to land in and I'm not going to lose my ball. And surely that's the smart way to play it. But you get enticed by this exciting way in which to play it and and bring either two or seven into play mm. and um, again to be fair it's 230 front edge so it's a it's not a long hole no down not at all not at all well still conditions for us like you think well, i can i can i can get there just gotta mm. hit it solid um i think you i think you hit on something there with the fade three wood or fade driver 
as someone who hits either a high block or a draw, I, I basically have to aim at the shit to have a hope of hitting and holding the green. I think that's probably, as someone incapable of shaping it from left to right, maybe that's why I've always looked at it. And to my eye, I just see risk. Yeah. I think there's a couple of moments on the course like that. I, I, I remember I played Lost Farm before it opened and I used to hit these high week fades. And this time I've gone back as an older golfer for the first time in a number of years with a distinctly different trajectory and a handicap that's probably slightly worse. And there's a few moments where you feel a tiny bit uncomfortable and think, oh, I need I need to move this left to right and I can't. And so you sort of bail out mm. and think, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit a long shot that moves left to right. I'm just going to squib it and hit a shorter shot and then wedge the next one. Yeah. The drive on five kind of fits that description for me. I've got to start it on that pyramid dune and and try and just keep it in the right side. Yeah. Because if I if I overdraw it, it gets the wrong side of there's that big swale in the fairway that just shoves you off. Way I left. envy I envy people who can hit that baby cut on that tee because the draw is not a comfy Shot to have to. Yeah, well, they don't have to try and traverse the apex of that massive dune. When you're the you're the second to back tee, that thing's looming right in front of you. And you mm-hmm. think, I need to I need to get this driver up quick. Yeah, I'm going to thin it. I'm going to thin it into the like a third of the way up. What's well, I I I did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first the first round just absolutely smoked high draw over it and felt like a tour pro, and then the Sunday morning just thinned one into the marum about one third of the way up and never saw it mm. again. And it was accompanied by that dreadful thud sound that you get when you hit balls into the rough. There, mm. that is that is certainly not a if it hits the hill it hits the hill situation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so condition. I mean, we saw that. Well, I'll, I think I already popped it up on the stories, but I should put it up for in a post for posterity. We saw that horrific fried egg. Was that you hit a bad shot that ballooned in the wind and landed basically vertical and it was a fried egg? Or was that a no. the bunker sand at Barney? The bunker sand at Barney's just too soft fried egg. I think that's one of the characteristics of the site in that the sand there is is much more beachy and much more like builder's sand. It's not sand belt sand. Someone asked, someone sent a DM to me and I said not to be too dorky or too nerdy, but the particle size of sand on the sand belt lends itself to be more tightly packed and it's more coarse and open in Bridport and that's going to behave differently when the when balls land in those bunkers and you need to make a different bunker sh- swing when, you, when you're extricating yourself from those hazards as well. So I, st- I struggled with that definitely and then thought, well, I just need to stay out of the bunkers because I can't play well out of them and the outcome when my ball lands in them is not good either. Yeah, I mean, they are legitimate hazards because sometimes you're just trying to get it out of its crater. Yeah, and the only time I really got lucky, the only t- oh, was it might have been the only time I got up and down. Maybe there were one or two others, but that tremendous one from the left of seven on on Saturday at Barney, like I just could not believe that I got that up and down. That's not a bunker um, that you make three from. It's just not. No, and and in still conditions with a gap wedge in your hand, you hit it pin high, but you miss twenty meters left. Like that's yeah. just unforgivable. So very lucky escape there. Um, the bunkers are all in the right spots. 
They're really, really well constructed. You can see anyone who wants to know how strong the wind blows and how often it blows and where it comes from, you really only need to look at the lips of some of those bunkers and you don't need to be a shaper or you don't need to be intricately familiar with with construction techniques to see these massive lips and massive mounds of sand that have accumulated over time in areas that aren't sand splashed from play. They're, they're blown there by the elements and they've probably been pushed back a couple of times over the years only to reform because Barney's been open since October 2004. Uh, Lost Farm, I think, opened in May 2010. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right. It's yeah, it's a it's a it's a windy site, um, and so it's got to be difficult to, irrespective of the 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 characteristics of the sand, it's just got to be difficult to maintain those hazards. I don't know if many people are raking them and what good the raking does anyway. They're not they're certainly not spending money on tamping down sand or packing it or watering it and then packing it. What they did do, which was really really nice, one of the one of the things that I've heard people talk about critically in times past was that oh well the the pins didn't change and we played both courses multiple times on a four-day stay including a weekend and the pins didn't change they changed every day while we were there which was really really neat that is a massive polite golf clap to barney because that's been a massive issue of trips there and it was on my list of things to quiz you about was was that so every single day so it wasn't even just between friday and sunday they moved them on lost farm no like saturday's pins were different again Friday, Saturday, Sunday were different across all three courses. Yeah, which was really, really good. Yeah, wrapped to see that. So big, big nod About time. to the staff at, at Very cool. Barnboogle, So Yeah. Um, just to close on the bunkers, my mates and I down there play the rules that became fashionable during COVID when we had no rakes, which is if you're in a bunker, just pick it up, smooth it out with your foot, put the ball down so it's like a bunker lie and just play the ball. Yeah, I like that. I would I would 100% do that next visit. Yeah. Clades will text us about this and be like, you're soft. What are you whinging about? I hate that. I'm not coming on the pod now. But yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's what we do because it's just like, you know, you can hit identical shots and one of you is sitting up on top and one of you like needs a step ladder to get down to your ball in the crater that it's in. So yeah. Anyway, we do do barn boogle at a service if we talk about bunker sand any longer than this. Um, so Saturday around, you were texting me saying that you had a gentle easterly that turned into a northerly and it was just glorious. Um, take us initially to the fourth hole. We all want to know so slightly driver, downwind from the right. How'd you play it? So just it's no question there. Just just give me driver and just let me smack it over the big hazard and take that slope down onto the green. So yeah, driver onto the front edge. Lovely. Which was yeah, really good. Pin back left in that little bowl. Ooh, that next shot's interesting. It was really neat. Yeah, made a total mess of that. <laughs> um total mess of that. That's that's giving me some PTSD, even recalling that without <laughs> talking about it in full detail. Um, you don't have to tell us how bad that shot was, but do tell us what did you make on that hole then? Five. <laughs> yeah, not good. Right, uh, so you did you did make a mess of the chip there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thinned over the back into the marrow. I'm lucky to find it. Ooh. And just wanted to hit this tiny little dinky lofted shot over the elbow of the dune yes. that divides that left bit into its own little lobe and just totally botched it. Mm. And in retrospect thought, 
Blind Freddy could have bumped a seven iron over that slope and got it closer and could have had a tap in three and you had to be an idiot. So we'll store that in the memory bank for next time. But you drove it front edge. Yeah, That's which something. was which was a buzz. So one we have we have several mutual friends who went along to play Barn Boogle before it opened. And if you remember, we were on I seek golf, like an like an like an OG golf forum 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge buzz about this course that was going to open down on the northern beaches of Tasmania and Tom Doak's doing it and it's going to be unbelievable I remember getting a phone call from Justin Ryan who'd been down there with Chris Kane and Shane Gurnett and they were seeing it before anyone else and Justin struck the typical strong westerly wind and so he was walking towards the third tee and I think I might be I don't think I'm doing him a disservice but he said I think we've been sold a pup because I've hit Driver, driver, driver to the first par five, and then driver, driver to the first par four. <laughs> I don't think this course is as, as good as we've been led to believe. And he got to the third tee, and things quickly changed. Yeah. And he also struck it on a very strong day. I think I hit driver three wood to the front edge with the easterly blowing on the Saturday morning. I mean, the thing I like about those two opening holes is that they do, if you've just spent 90 minutes on a plane and then 60 minutes in a car, you know the course. The course really starts from three T in a meaningful sense, yeah. and that three through seven is as good as golf gets. You sort of just get a half hour kind of activation and warm up playing one and two. They're yeah. good holes. They're not. They're not crap holes, but they're a. They're a. They're not even a, a, a firm handshake. They're a gentle kind of handshake with a little back rub. Very, particularly one you can bunt it out there. Just hit a solid second, short third. That green's got a bit going on and it's probably yeah. smaller than some people think. And if you, you you push one right and you're down below and can't see much of the putting surface, you're going to make six. But I was going to say, you're aiming you're aiming left centre every time because if you tug it, it'll kick you back on. And if you push it a bit, you'll be middle of the green. So it's kind of like yeah, the, even, even that shot, yeah, if you bang it right, you're stuffed, but there's no reason to bang it right. No, no, no. Start. It really does start at three. Three. I remember the feeling that I had, and most most listeners will probably remember that same feeling. That sense they got on third tee, thinking, "Hang on, where do I go?" And oh, I've got to go over that dune, and it runs diagonal, and that's the sixth. Where's my flag? And do I aim at that? Like just just masterful design and a little bit of I don't I don't know how best to describe it, but just a a little bit of mental intimidation, perhaps. Yeah, by, a bit of deception. By, yeah. It's similar to me to the confusion you get after you hit your second shot and you walk up to your golf ball on the first hole at St Andrews Beach, the first time you play it, and you're looking over towards 18 fairway looking for a, the green yes. and and oh, oh no, it's, it's up over there, is it? It's, Go over there. It's left and I can't see. Okay. It's at, yeah. for me on three at Lost Farm, uh, three on Barnbugle Dunes and, you know, the off camber of the fairway and the two tiers and, it does after two pretty not conventional but lower key holes for Barney Dunes. You, then you got that tiny green that's surrounded by sand, yeah. narrow at the it, front, slopes front to back. Um, he throws a lot of funk at you in in one go. So we had a guy in our group drive it onto the front edge. Mm, that's good. So brave drive yeah. line and a big carry as well. Um, couple just twenty meters short, thirty meters short. 
which meant that you had a long club in hand when you started to play five and six and came back the other way. Yeah. And then the approach to eight was long as well. So what it, what it gives you in some parts of the course, it takes away in others. And I always like that. I find, I find Doak generally does that on a number of his courses. Um, and he'll have little pairs of holes at times that do that or strings of holes that do that at times. Conditions there, like agronomy-wise, were very, very similar to Lost Farm. Fairways were in really good shape. As Clayton says, it's, it's, perfect, it's perfect turf for golf. It's not perfect lawn. Mm-hmm. There's little weeds. There's tiny little areas where it's thin. There's different coloured grass. There's different kinds of grass in small patches, but it's just it's just perfect. And you can you're going to get a, a firm, predictable first bounce. You can run it along the ground from dozens and dozens of meters out to some greens. The um, the better players will appreciate that that club ball turf interaction on fescue more so than legend and kike. Greens, if anything, most of the guys that came on this trip were from the National. One or two were Sandbelt members, and they're used to greens running a bit quicker. We had a few times where we had downhill putts or putts of reasonable length where you just couldn't believe that they stopped so far short, and that's probably more a reflection of us just not getting our minds around slopes. I think if you putt the Sandbelt regularly, it's hard to whack a 60-footer, isn't it? Yeah, you just can't. You You look at something and think, impossible. Yeah. Now, something that we've experienced in the past and um, when we had um, Tron Carter on from the laying up earlier in the year, he talked about their visit in December 2017, you know, shaggy feeder slopes and kick pads that don't necessarily kick or feed as they should. Sounds like you caught some pretty good conditions. Yeah. How how was that? Because that's so integral to how particularly Dunes plays. Yeah. I think they've largely addressed that. It's I appreciate the difficulty that they've got in presenting a course in that way because you don't want too great a differential between those slopes and the putting surface itself. And if you mow everything down really tight and suddenly end up with greens at 11 rather than nine, you lose a lot of pinnable area. You have guys having 45 putts in a round when they've got a three-club westerly blowing. But they generally seemed they generally seem to function as intended. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes people would look at the slopes and think, "Oh, I can bring it. I can bring it back in off that, or I'll land on that and then trickle back down." And on closer inspection, I looked at some of those slopes and thought, "I'm not sure they feed as much as most people expect." So maybe that's a tiny part of it. Yeah, they're that's a, a fair they're point. A, they're a backstop. They're a saving grace. They're going to stop you from going 25 meters further away from the hole, but they're not necessarily going to feed you back into six foot birdie range. Yeah, and there's a little bit of that going on on both courses. Mm-hmm. The times where someone did use those slopes to advantage, so they were not far from the green, and thought, "Look, I'm just going to bump hybrid along the ground, and I'm going to go way past the flag and have this parabolic path up the slope, and then all the way back down." When it worked, it was it was a sight to behold. I reckon I speak for everyone in saying this: some of the most fun things that you see playing partners do. Yeah, on a course, so. And what I mean, we don't have to probably ask which of the holes you're most looking forward to on on Barnbugle Dunes, but which holes did you walk off with a kind of new affection or respect for? Hmm. I don't know if there was one that had a new affection for, but just confirmed so many just confirmed how great they are. Like one of the guys, it, it was his first visit, and he'd played St Andrews Beach and he knew who Tom Doak was. And I just found myself 
almost being a pain in the neck to this guy. Like he'd stand on three T and say, this is one of the best holes in the country. Four T, this is one of the best holes in the country. Seven T, this is one of the best holes. And and like, it, it, I reckon I said it eight times during the round. Yeah, 10, well, there are. There are 12, yep. 13, 17, they just, 15, they just keep coming. It's, yeah. I must say 15 is another one at Barnbugle Juniors that like three at Lost Farm, I always just, I look at it and I grab a five iron and I aim almost at the 14th fairway and yeah again maybe if I maybe if I could hit a little butter cut I might think that's tempting but it's never tempted me that that hero shot is a little bit prescriptive yeah although I'm curious like to go back down so I don't reckon I've been to barn burgle since maybe 2018 and so like I'm a better player now than I was then. I reckon in 2018 I was a six or a seven, and now I'm like a three-ish. So I wonder if now, because we change, right? The holes don't just change, and courses evolve even when you don't realize they're evolving. But we change as golfers as well. And so I'm really, I'd be interested. I should explain to Kerry that I really desperately need a study to it, a test of the uh, hypothesis. But I. Would be love to go down now and see. All right, now that I have a bit better control on my golf ball, particularly off the tee, do I feel differently about some of the holes there? Either ones I loved before or ones I didn't love, like three at Lost Farm and thirteen at Barney Dunes. Fifteen, sorry, at Barney Dunes. That that boomerang trip that you organised for a lot of visitors mm-hmm. was that twenty eleven, March twenty eleven. Yeah. Okay. So you've yeah you've got more than a decade's familiarity with Lost Farm, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, that was my first time to visit both of them. That was uh, one of the other interesting things that I found myself reflecting on in the car trip back to the airport. Australian golfers that go down there repeatedly, they all have their own story, and they all have their own experience. But they're part of a shared experience where, oh, you went down and you did this. Or, oh, you played seven this way. Or they'd remember the times they've gone down there with friends. A lot of golfers who aren't members of elite clubs or famous courses, that that's going to be one of the best courses they play. And it's it, it really is a very, very special place. It gives people a, a taste of amazing golf in an accessible and an affordable way. And if they're in Adelaide and Sydney and Hobart and Melbourne, like it's 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 reachable yeah. in a pretty quick time. Clates had, had mentioned ages ago that he thought that Richard Sattler was one of the most important people in the history of golf in Australia. And to be able to give local punters the opportunity to play two world top 100 courses for a a laughably affordable fee in global terms. Yeah, that that view was another that was reinforced over the weekend. Yeah. Hey, can I let's just get the let's just get the mayor culpa out of the way before even the next episode. Cause I just pulled up <laughs> no, I just pulled up the golf magazine ranking. Um sorry, no. I've opened Darius Oliver's personal ranking. Because um, I was going to say we we messed up here and we got um, we got it wrong and Lost Farm is actually number forty two in the world, but Darius has it number forty two in the world and uh, okay. Barnbugle Junes at forty four. 
Um, so yeah, sorry, Golf Magazine doesn't have it that way. But Barnbugle Dunes is 36 in the world, according to Golf Magazine's panel. And the reason I bring that up is to your point there that for, you know, cheap airfare, you know, get your Qantas points up. You can fly there without spending a lot of money. Rent a car. The cars out of Launceston are frightfully cheap, particularly yeah. with three or four people sharing. Pay $130 for a round or $170 all day, and anyone in Australia can can play the 36th best golf course in the world. Um, there really aren't other golf courses of that quality that are that accessible. You know, Pacific Dunes at Bandon is public, but it's 350 US in high season. It's it's multiples of the price. Most of the others are all private clubs. Pebble Beach is there, but it's 550 US plus caddy. It's probably more than that now. All the Scottish courses are 300 and something quid. Like we we always labour the point of the value of Barnbugle, but I feel like you can't labour it enough. Like just how cheap the place is for yeah, you know, anyone in Australia who who wants to play one of the best few dozen golf courses in the world can do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's- and and I think you're right on the money too, that like, yeah, the golf's that good, but I feel like the experiences that you have there with you know, I I've gone there with mates that I've known for 30 years. Um the experiences that you have with people are different down there. I feel like I don't want to get too woo-woo, but like the place, I don't know, you, you, you're a different person a little bit at Barnaby. I don't know if it's that you relax a bit more or that how often is it, you know, particularly I talk about like blokes here. I try to talk about just people on this podcast and not be gender specific, but blokes aren't very good a lot of the time at connection and at vulnerability and at depth in friendships. And it's rare that I think adult Aussie blokes spend the quality of time with their mates that you spend on a Barney weekend. You know, you go on a Gold Coast trip, you're out at night and you're in a pub or a nightclub and you're on the piss and you're this and you're that. Like at Barnboogle, it's very, you're with the people that you're with and you're with yourself and there's a lot of quiet moments and there's a lot of, time to fill with conversation or with, you know, reflection. I think it's, to me, it's special for those reasons as well. You know, it's like a walk in the woods, but a group of Aussie blokes are not going to go for a a walk in the woods and certainly not for three days. I think there's something about going to Barnboogle and also with, with new people. Like you've talked about this trip. There were blokes that you didn't know before. There's something that bonds you um, with yeah. people. Definitely. Yeah, that's a really astute observation. And you 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 make friendships down there and it, it starts in such a great way. That's that's either the foundation block of your your association and your friendship with those guys. You do have you, yeah, I was just I found myself nodding in approval listening to you and agreement when listening to you talking about that that social dynamic at Barnboogle. And that doesn't happen when you go to the Gold Coast. It doesn't happen when you go to so many other destinations. You're right. We we got onto rankings. I'm curious because we've just had to lodge our lists for Golf Australia magazine. Um, look out for usually the January edition, which is on sale just before New Year. Um, the lists are there. 
and some comments about courses from from the panel. My ranking of Lost Farm and Barn Bugle Dunes has kind of gone back and forth a bit over the years. Curious what yours was this this time around, how you had the position relative to each other. I think I've had Lost Farm slightly ahead almost all the time. But mm-hmm. I, and I and I had it I had it a couple of or two ahead of Barn Bugle this time. So Okay. And where whereabouts were they? You say you had it two ahead because you've played everything that's a contender for top ten. So I think I put them two and four. Okay. So I had them two and four. Ooh, okay. In, in the other order. Ah. Um, I just again the courses don't just change, we change. I think I feel different to how I felt. I had I had lost farm in front last time. This time I think I've just the ups. The high points you talked about earlier, saying to the the first timer, it's one of the best holes in the world, like eight, nine times. It's just, it's the truth. Yeah. You don't say that as many times on Lost Farm. Um, the highs are higher on dunes, I think. Lows might be lower. But I just think there are too many acute thrills on dunes and in my yeah. current state, that, that won out for me. Which is understandable. There's no wrong answer, is there? And it's impossible for me to disappoint Darius with my ranking because I haven't played Cat Wickham yet. So that, of course, was one of the news of the week items that we hadn't. For mentioned. all I know, it is the third best course in the world, or whatever he reckons it is. So that's we've. This is the this is the interval in the in the episode where we also talk about the acute awareness that we are going to do Royal Adelaide, Lake Karen, up Peninsula Kingswood, and Cape Wickham episodes in 2024. Got to happen. PK is probably the most likely of those in the short term. Sorry, Darius has Cape Wickham tenth in the world. It's not tenth in the world. I haven't I haven't seen enough of the top ten in the world, but I know enough to know that it's not ten in the world. If you ordered the top one hundred alphabetically, Cape Wickham <laughs> might be tenth in the world. <laughs> for all I know, it is. Just, just for all just, I know, it is. Just in front of Casa de Campo. Um, <laughs> and look, so, inshallah, if I ever get there, it won't be blowing 80 clicks and I'll be able to play golf. We can only hope. Well, I kept thinking a couple of times during our weekend of people that might have been a couple of hundred K north and a little bit to the west and thought if you got Wickham in these conditions, you would just be rubbing your hands together with glee. Yeah. It, it is fascinating. Look, David Jones, UK golf guy, is in raptures about Wickham and think went on to the McKellar podcast to throw a little bit of shade at rankings and yeah. golf.com's process, which is a bit unfortunate. Lawrence um, Donegan called Rand Morissette corrupt, which is just absurd. Everyone got very upset about that. If rankings are designed to stir up conversation, Rand absolutely knocked that out of the park because there are some people clutching very tightly to their pearls as they reacted to that. Yeah. Loved it. it it'll be interesting to see because Chris Day is out here later this month. Um, Golf Guy 77, to those who are on the Twitterverse. I did He's... giggle before I did giggle before we knew referenced Americans visiting from Phoenix or Cleveland. I thought, oh, I wonder how you chose those two cities. <laughs> they were, they were is that where Maddie's two best US mates live or not? Right oh, yeah. Front of enough. my mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, Chris is coming back out. So, so yeah, those guys, those guys make it a point to see Wickham whenever they come down, and they're in raptures playing there, and they love it. And 
we'd, we'd hinted in times past about the the fascination with the course, given the odyssey that you undertake to get there, the remoteness of the site. So when we when we eventually discuss Wickham, that'll be something that is is front and center, no doubt, because it, yeah. it has to subconsciously influence you to some extent. Yeah. Well, it worked for the beer sponsor. Maybe I should start an Instagram campaign for Kate Wickham to fly me down to play it for free so I can work out if it, I think it's any good. Sharp or Vortex. There or even go. just Wickham. Just get Wickham to just get you down there in a chopper. Yeah. Hazards on Dunes, if we can get this thing back on track. Yes. The Sorry, hazards, yeah. The Hazards on Barnboogle Dunes are looking real clean and sharp these days. I'll pop this, a picture up of I took a picture of seven at Barnbugle Dunes on my first visit 2011, and it's still got the kind of lace turf lips. And now it's like it's Metro Bunker edges. It's it's very clean in comparison, and and the sand has just long since robbed any of those bunker margins of any intricacy. So that's my question. Can, is I'll it the wind can... or is it what the course managers have done to try to minimise how much the wind wreaks havoc? Because I can see the wind changing it, but I wouldn't imagine the wind would create razor crisp bunker edges. Uh, I didn't look at anything and think it was razor crisp. This, they're, they're, this, they're more uniform. Mm. Because Lost Farm seems different and then Boogle Run looks different again if you look at the bunker shapes. I'll see if I can find a, a shot from that 04 trip. So I, I remember I got this cool sheet that I really treasure, just this black A4, black and white A4 sheet that is a, a pre-opening guide to Bun Boogle Dunes. I might even put a picture of that up on Insta. Yeah, um, do. I'd love to see that. So that was October 2004. That was the date of the federal election. I went down yeah. with Steve McMurray and and there was no there was no clubhouse. There was no slab. There was the, the there was no sealed road in. I don't even think there was a sign. Um you sort of get to that T intersection where you turn left to go to the town and right to go to the golf course and turn right and sort of see a couple of golf holes up on the hill in the distance and think, oh, okay, mm. that's where we're going. But I've got, I'm sure I took a stack of photos that day. Um, I'll see if I can find one of seven because that'll be a counterpoint because that was years prior. Um, traffic, maintenance practice, wind, and probably some practices designed at, at mitigating alteration of the hazard because yeah. of consistent westerlies. I reckon they all have a part to play in why they look different, but you're right. They definitely look different. Yeah. And you did you did a tweet ages ago where you put side by side by side from years apart and they you could see how they you'd see how they I don't want to say devolved, but certainly how their form changed. There was much less artistry to them, which in such a dynamic environment with thirty thousand people traipsing over them each year. Mm. No wonder yeah. it happens. I'd love to, if I ever had the time, look at on Barn Boogle Dunes the bunkers that you play going east versus the bunkers that you play going west. So they're facing different winds in terms of the shape being open to different winds. Are they different? 
I would say they are. I'd noticed that a few times throughout the round, and particularly on 11 at Barn Boogle. Um, mm. Yeah, there's just these bulbous accumulations of sand outside the bunker margin that create an exaggerated lip like a bullnose that... Yes. You think, yeah, that's the wind. It's it, it it wouldn't be an easy site to maintain. It's not it's certainly not as sheltered as lots of other courses we could name. Yeah. You talked last year when we did our initial Barney episode, um, you were referencing that day in October 2004 when you went down for the opening, and your comment was there was a rawness to the course. I think, mm. and look, it was the day it opened, so of course there was, and it's 20 years later now, so of course it's different. But... I think that is the thing that you notice over years visiting Barn Boogle is that refinement, you know, and it's not over the top, still presented and conditioned how it should be, but there's a refinement and a maturity to everything about the place that, you know, it is it is evolving right before our eyes. Yeah. And they still they, they still do so, so much right. Like they don't, they've not adopted this incongruous American service model. There's no one there at the bag drop ready to yep. greet you, Mr. Warren, and shine your shoes post round. And you're in you're in northern Tasmania. You're at a coastal seaside town that's a holiday destination for people who live in Launceston. You're in Australia and it's owned by Richard Sattler, who's however you want to refer to him, a rough diamond, a knockabout bloke, an average Aussie guy, however you want to phrase that. And your ex- your experiences within that framework, which I cherish, I think it's it's fantastic, and I would hope that that would never change. Mm. Mate, you mentioned that there's no shoeshine guy. I think I just heard the sound of Harrison Endicott cancelling <laughs> his trip. Poor Harrison, cop the hiding on that. He's devastated. Um, yeah. So it's um, still affordable. It's still an amazing place. Well, I was going to say, so all this stuff that we've talked about, right, in terms of bunker sand, and in terms of Feeder slopes that might get a bit shaggy and in turn, right? $130 to play the 36th best golf course in the world. So if, if Richard Sattler said, boys are here, great points. We've we've fixed the bunkers and we've done this and we've done that. We've upped and, the green staff and uh, yeah, greens are running and, at 10.8 now. 100% and we've thinned out the marum so you can find your ball more often and check it out. It's 240 around to pay for all that extra maintenance. Like I don't think you'd say... Richard nailed it. Good stuff, mate. Like it. We... In part, it is what it is because of the value. You know, it, the value is what it is because of the way that they maintain it, and they sort of look for what things do we need to do rather than what things could be done. Just if we hire enough people, the amount of jobs is endless. I'm sure. So, yeah, it is. It is all part of the same. The same decision around what should a round of golf cost here, and yeah. Hard to argue with 130 for that. I've pretty much emptied the notebook. However, I have saved my most important question for last. Oh, can I just interrupt? Someone asked me fun. prior if I had um, if I had five rounds to play there, how would I divvy it up? And I think I'd do two each on Ooh. each of the big courses and one on one. That's on such one. a cop out. That that I saw that DM. That person wanted you to. Declare which one you were going to spend three rounds on. Oh, which one? Okay. You know uh, what I mean? Like that, that case, that's it. Five rounds. It's like pick one. Lost Farm, 3-2. For me, it might depend on how windy. If it's, a, if it's a windy visit, I'd probably go my third round on Lost Farm. 
because it's more manageable in high wind. If it were, if it were bluebird days, I mean the cop out is to say I'd play the front nine of both courses for my fifth round. When you when you do have nine, you've got time left for nine, and you've got a choice as to whether or not you stay at one or you'd make the four k drive and go play the front nine of the other. That gets interesting as well. Mm. Or you can play nine anywhere. You're going to go to ten on Barn Boogle and play ten through eighteen. And join the back of the field as the sun sets, or it's like you can pick a nine of the four that are there. Like where do you where do you go then? I would go to the third tee of dunes. Play through and twelve, I, and I'd pl- no, I'd play three through nine, ten and eighteen. I'd argue with that. That'd be that would that'd work. It's great. So all twenty. Did you play all twenty at Lost Farm? Yeah, okay. yeah. Every every round. You did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there's there's blokes sitting there having beers up in the sports bar, watching what everyone does to. And and when the pins on the back half of that green, they can see much more. If it's the front bit, they can't really see very much. But if it's back right, they get to see everything. So if you're smart, and you you take one extra club and you throw it high left and feed it down off that slope, and it gets close, that'd be great sport for people in the bar. Yeah, we did all 20. Guys were saying, oh, what index is 13A? And, oh, do I get a shot on number 20? Guys, just just hit your ball. Don't worry about that. Still think 20 is a cop out. It sort of sort of is. No win. 17 was a six iron, five iron. Mm-hmm. But it's been three wood. Like I've had to lace three wood. The first time I ever played it, just thought I'm never going to get up there. So I can see why Mike Kaiser thought that yeah 13, 13 a is a cool little pitch and that green's got a ton going on to it including this tiny little front left lobe that's almost impossible to stick so yeah all right well now mate i am licking my chops to get back yeah there. we've got a it's been way too long we've got to figure out a birthday or some sort of function or something to get you down there I was thinking I reckon I'll be able to justify a trip when Seven Mile opens. Yeah. And so maybe it's a drive up, fly to Hobart, drive up to Barney in the morning, play one, stay the night, play the next the next morning, drive back. Drive back. Yeah, you could do that. Try and fit it into minimal time. Yeah, that's a good plan. Interestingly, in that Barn Boogle episode... I gave it. I was re-listening um, a couple of days ago, and we excitedly announced to our listeners in that episode that Matt Goggin had confirmed that Seven Mile Beach would open in December 2023, which is next month. And obviously, <laughs> some challenges in the grow-in. I think it's more like October 2024, maybe at this stage, kind of this time next year. So the weather's robbed us of a year at Seven Mile, but. It's progressing beautifully. You know, check out their Insta. There's some incredible stuff on there that shows how far they've come. Yeah. So it looks like a golf course now. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff they've planted and hydro-seeded is taking. Mm. Unreal. All right. fun, Matt. I'm glad you had a good yeah. weekend. You deserve it. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was great fun. Everyone deserves to get down there. And, of course... We can't get so distracted by our new lover that we forget our old faithful. Oh, of course. We do this 
thanks to Matt Burns and his beautiful dogs, Angus and Grace, after whom he named his brand. Angus and Grace Go Golfing is our favourite golf clubber. I'm sure Maddie was wearing the hell out of it down at Barn Burgle. Uh, there's a great, there's the last remaining few pieces of the No Laying Up collab in the store and online. There's some fantastic Sugarloaf Social Club gear, another collab. If you're not familiar with Sugarloaf, it's basically a imaginary golf club out of the the flames of of the Sugarloaf Mountain golf course that Corin Crenshaw did in Florida that no longer exists. A uh, few guys who got together and basically created a brand around that. Um, so great collab with Angus and Grace. Uh, of course, the summer's coming, so lots of new shorts in stock, new colours for this summer. There's still some sale items on rain gear and the Q-zips that we were spruiking all winter. So do next winter future you a favour and grab one of those now and put it in the top of the cupboard. So Angus and Grace, we love Matty Burns. Uh, he's been very good to us and we really appreciate his support. So uh, angusandgracegogolfing.com, Angus and Grace Go Golfing on Insta and William Street at Paddington in-store IRL. Go see him. Guys on the golf trip commented on the golf pants repeatedly, the, the flat pockets on the back, one of the polos as well. They've got some good stuff this summer. And those racks, did you see the racks that his mate made for him to put some of the retro clubs on within the within the store? Yes, I did. And so we're about to be renovating and my golf stuff is currently in half of a cupboard in the office. And I've been told in the new home office, I can decorate exactly how I want. It's my room. And I want to get one of those racks to put my hickories on because I don't play hickories as much as I should. So I want to hang them on the wall and and have them there to, to look at. Maybe on a team's call, just get one off the wall and have a little waggle and video off, obviously. Yeah. As Clyde said, everyone has a house club. Yeah. No, so look, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Uh, shout out Angus and Gray. Shout out Burnley Brewing. It's actually... Um, so proper chuffed that a brewery has come and said they'll give us some love. So yeah, bit of a milestone. It is. It is. And and that idea, that idea of an event in 2024, I like the sound of that. Yes. So hold us to that. Unite some listeners and get them all under the one roof, drinking some good booze and telling stories after a game together. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs>